Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Approaching Starbase One, sir. Captain Bridge, we've arrived at Starbase One. Acknowledge number one. How's it going? Hey, Adam Ireland. Have you rerouted the subspace relay beacon through deck eight yet? I don't really think that's a good idea. I do. I order you to do it right now. I'm reading a massive discharge on deck eight. Damage control team to deck eight. Warning. The structural integrity field has collapsed. Computer, bypass the damage to decade communication relays and open a channel to Admiral Quinn at Earth Space Dock. This is Admiral Quinn. Who is this? Communications are damaged. One moment. Admiral, the problem is at my end. Stand by while I attempt another patch. Nearly there. I think I can clear up the signal. Good to see you. It's good to see you too, Admiral. Sorry about the bad signal there. Very unusual. Thank you for your assistance. Well, it was my team that caused the damage to decade that has caused these issues. It may be that the communications array is in need of repair. Yes, sir. Repairs are still ongoing. I've read the reports. In your own words, tell me what happened out there. Essentially, Admiral Aaron gave Colin, I mean Admiral Higgins, an order to reroute the subspace relay beacon signal through decade. Although Decade had been set up for high bandwidth signals, only some of Decade's relays were upgraded for my team's work. The rest of the relays on Decade were just not up for processing the network traffic for an entire parsec. The overload blew every relay on Decade and then caused secondary explosions everywhere else on the deck. Aaron just isn't an engineer, and Colin should have known better. But it was an honest mistake. Unfortunately, it was just a costly one. Decade repairs will not be complete until the ship docks at a starbase, and the cascading explosions has meant that the warp drive is offline too at the moment. The only saving grace is that there were no deaths. Third degree burns and concussions were the worst injuries the crew suffered from. <laughs> That's quite the story. Yes, sir. To be honest, it's the sort of story you'd expect to hear from a first-year ensign serving aboard a starship. Not seasoned admirals. Don't worry. I have statements here corroborating your story. That's good. I've locked the other admirals out from all the engineering systems, just to ensure this won't happen again. But given the damage to decade, we'll be out of action for a while. We won't be able to broadcast anytime soon. 
Listen carefully. Return to Earth's space dock. You could use some new equipment. I have some improved consoles developed by the Starfleet Corps of Engineers. These consoles can be installed to improve its abilities. That's wonderful, sir. But new consoles won't be much help when we cannot use this deck. You will be assigned to Starbase 1. Starbase 1? Is the whole team being reassigned to work from Starbase 1? Correct. That's great news. It's time to try something different. That's just fantastic. The broadcast facilities on a Starbase dwarf that of a starship. The team will love this news. Just don't let them get in over their heads. Oh, I won't, sir. I'll also ensure that this sort of thing cannot happen again. I've already started on some new security subroutines this morning. Good work. Thank you, sir. Do you have any further questions? I'm just worried about what the other crew on the ship will think after we leave the ship. We're leaving them with a big mess to clear up. And a lot of the crew are still in sickbay. Don't dwell on what happened. Your actions saved the lives of your crew. Starfleet could use more officers like you. You're right. I know that. I just wish there was more that I could do. More the team could do. So we're assigning you to make sure everything goes smoothly. Yes, sir. I'll make sure everything is in order before we leave the ship. I'll sort out a requisition for a shuttle. It'll take us about three days to reach Starbase 1. Once there, I'll personally oversee the installation of those new consoles. Can we count on you to keep Starfleet communications safe? Absolutely. Don't disappoint me. I won't, Admiral. Trust me. You'll not have the communications network sounding like an old Earth FM station. I'll only work with the Starbase engineers to make this work, and I'll keep the other admirals away from the installation process. Good choice. I'll send you a message to inform you when the shuttle request is authorised with an accurate ETA. In the meantime, I'll help with as many repairs to Deck 8 before we leave. Be careful. I will, Admiral. Is there anything else before I go? Keep me posted. Yes, sir. Computer, end call. Hi folks, welcome to Starbase One. If you're a first time listener, hello. If you're a dedicated decade listener and you've been wondering where the hell we are, we're back. Starbase One is a dedicated Star Trek Online podcast where we talk about nothing else but Star Trek Online. Well, mainly Star Trek Online. So the host, team, inmates, whatever you want to call them, are I'm Colin from England and I'm joined by I'm Admiral Aaron from Canada. I'm Dave from the West Coast of Canada. I'm Steve, also known as Midnight Shadow 7, and I'm also broadcasting from England. And I'm Tom, and uh, I am in Wales, which is next door to England. Yeah, but we won't hold that against you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so for all the you that are new to the cast, and for those of you who can't remember who the hell we are, I'll give you a little synopsis. As I says, I'm Colin. I've been playing since beta. I'm grandfathered into the game as a lifer, back when being a lifer actually meant something. It's a whole different thing now. Still get me stopping now. Uh, my fleet is quite old, as in we all started when the game started. So basically we've got our colonies, the only thing that we haven't finished, but everything else is done. And also it's predominantly American. My favoured choice is engineering when I'm in game. What about you, Tom? Well, I also started back in sort of like the original sort of beta days. But lately, due to uh, hardware limitations, I've gone over to the casual console side of the game. And like you, my favourite of science, as usual. I still rock the uh, science build. I'm Steve. I've been playing since July 2011, so not too far off after it had launched, just over a year. I have an awful lot of characters and accounts. I think the last count was 52 characters over four accounts, which includes 
on PlayStation 4 from when I played at work. And I primarily play engineering. I'm Dave, and I've been an active player for about nine years, having blogged under the name of Loot Critter since the Delta Rising expansion. I'm also a lifetime member and run the Galactic Privateer fleet on the PC. I'm definitely all about the PC. I love collecting starships and try just about every design produced by Star Trek Online. My playstyle is all over the board, but I have a sweet spot for science captains and gravity wells, regardless of the faction. What about you, Aaron? Well, I'm Admiral Aaron. I have been a player of Star Trek Online since free-to-play, and I ran my own fleet in the early days. I was part of the role-play community, and I ended up becoming more active. I switched fleets, and I became less active in the fleet aspect and focused more heavily on the, the Star Trek Online foundry. I published about six Foundry missions and a couple special edition missions for April Fools. I have been spotlit Foundry author by Star Trek Online. And um, I'm also a previous cast member of the Decade podcast from uh, 2013. And I'm looking forward to uh, this wonderful time. Excellent. So as you can see, folks, we've got quite a diverse crew here, which means hopefully we can bring you quite a diverse look at the game. So now you've met the team, this is what you can expect. We aim to cover all aspects of the game. We'll be doing builds, uh, ship components. Dave will take the lead on that. Tom handled the game on experience from the Xbox point of view, as well as zipping into the PC game. Adam will cover storytelling and the overall arc of the game. Steve will cover design and also delve into the builds. And we'll all pitch in with each other's bits and bobs as we go and as we are able to, because not all of us can build ships that stay alive for more than eight seconds. The last episode we broadcast of Decade was August the 27th, 2013. In the intervening time, the game has evolved and changed an awful lot. And today we're going to cover those intervening years, how we feel about the changes that have occurred and where the game is now. So, who will start me off? One thing I was thinking is, shall we actually go through what has actually been the main releases of the game? And then as things are called out is to actually people jump in and actually say things that they really like about those particular aspects and things like that. Sure, we can do that, right? Makes sense. Well, the last time Decade was actually published, Legacy of Romulus had been released that May, and it was just before Season 8 came out with the Sphere. So that gave us the Voth, the Dyson Joint Command, as well as the new Adventure Grounds. We'd got the Space and the Ground Battle Zones for that, and the Starfleet tutorial got revamped. So that was the November. Yeah, I actually bought, uh, well, I, tell you, I say I bought, I got gifted the Romulan expansion pack. So uh, I, I got all them Romulan ships. So I love my skimmer, I gotta admit. So, although I still haven't really played much on the Romulans, although I do actually have one at level 65. The other ones aren't quite as high. That you should. The Romulans make really good tacks. I was mainly just trying to get my main character built up, and now that's done. I'm currently working through actually doing the recruits. Because there was, you know, there were all the little things that you'd got to do in there where you unlocked all these rewards for all your other characters for a character hit level 20. I'm currently trying to get every single one of those done because we've had recruits for several years now and I still haven't completed them. <laughs> oh, I've got that. I've got eight tunes and only three of them are actually more or less done. So, yeah, I've got, I've got one tune. I think it's a cation. Yeah, it is. It's a cation. It's a cation tack because I'm terrible at building tacks. <laughs> 
And so because I know I'm terrible at building tacks, I have hardly touched him for like nine years. Uh, I have so many characters. I have a spreadsheet to keep hold of all the information about each of them. Thank goodness I'm not the only one using a spreadsheet. Did anyone else pick up the Romulan expansion pack? No, I didn't. I was there... I was there day one with it. Uh, as a matter of fact, it is my uh, favorite opening tutorial in the game. Uh, the artwork, the storytelling, uh, top-notch, and the selection of ships were spectacular. Yeah, uh, especially the storyline where you've got, of course, all the Alachi just sort of like grabbing people from the ground. It's just like, okay, that looks cool. <laughs> it was a nice tie-in to um, the TNG episodes, um, allowing us to cross-connect different factions, even uh, an episode from Enterprise. Exactly. Yeah, one thing they've done with this game for so many storylines is linking in lots of little things all the way through. It's always very good, and there's so many little bits, because everything, for the most part, until a lot of the new Trek that's come out from Discovery, it has been only episodic. So having things that never got resolved was very, very easy for them just to pick up and run with, which they did. Yeah, I actually um, really enjoyed And this is the only thing that has actually kept me engaged with Star Trek Online. Um, the funny thing about me is I'm not actually much of a game player. I play maybe a couple of mobile games on my phone. Apart from that, I don't own a console myself. Um, I don't play games. I don't actually play any other online MMOs or RPGs. Star Trek Online is the only online game that I actually play. And there's a huge reason for that. And it's the story. And that's why I play. I play purely because I like that fact that they take those episodes where they'll leave something and you're like, whatever happened in that situation? And they kind of fill in the blank. So personally, I actually take a lot of the stories to me. I know this is going to sound weird as canon because I like the way it sounds right. So many times they filled in the blanks. To me, it seems like canon. So I look at it as canon. I know other people are going to be like, it's not canon. But that's the way I look at it. And that's why why I enjoy it. Actually, they have to run everything past CBS. And CBS have to approve everything. So a lot of it is actually canon. Yeah. So, you know, the, the Enterprise F is a canon ship. Well, with regards to CBS, they do check in with them, but they don't have to get permission for absolutely everything. They say what they're doing. Because, of course, when the game came out, there was nothing on TV. There was no canon being released. Now that we have new canon TV coming out, it's a whole different thing. But they have actually been talking to CBS, so they actually get a heads up on a lot of the stuff that's going on. And they have been able to work that in. Yeah, in particular with the Enterprise F, because they did have to run that past CBS. Yeah, that one was actually a competition, if I recall. Yeah, well, the new one that, that's coming up in the, the summer event, we actually got a vote on, so it'd be interesting to see where that goes. And the other thing is, like, if you can actually see it if you like watch through Picard and things like that. You can kind of see where, um, and Discovery, where like the Star Trek ships have, online ships have actually inspired some of the stuff they're using in their shows. And I find that really cool. Well, yeah, even some of the like artwork in the comics, which was the preamble to what actually happens in Picard, you actually see them wearing the Star Trek Online type uniforms as well. Yeah, which also explains when Picard dropped out, all that stuff got online so quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. actually, I got the comic books and it really kind of helped me like understand what happened before Picard started. Yeah, me too. So what came after Romulus then, Steve? 
season eight actually was the first season that had an 8.5. Now, this included the fourth anniversary, which had a new feature mission. It had the Klingon War revamp. It had the new quick equip feature loadouts, which is one of my favorite facilities within the game. I just really wish they'd add it for ground. And even if they also made it that you could have it for your bridge officers, there are so many players that like to play Space Barbie is what's been dubbed for people who just love to do stuff with all their bridge officers and characters. That would be great. They also added the starship switching mechanics as well. Tom, what part of those bits did you most like? It was the, the whole sort of like Dyson sphere one, wasn't it, if I remember rightly? And what I liked was they got uh, Tim Russin as Tuvok, and I, I loved his voiceover work in a lot of the episodes. Oh, yeah, I was, I was quite surprised with that, and there's a, a really nice like Voyager jump in from him. Exactly. It certainly gave us a lot more opportunities, too, from the Space Barbie side. Uh, the legacy of Romulus pack allowed us to cross-use different nacelle designs, wingtips, etc., that really gave you the opportunity to, for the first time, of customizing what your ship looked like compared to others in the game. So what did you think about the, the T6 version of what used to be T5 ships in regards to the Romulans? Everything. Do you, do, you, do you think it was a good move or do you think it was a bad move? Um, at the end of the day, when you think about the game's evolution and new ships coming out, adding the T6 was a major step. It gave them, in my opinion, a lot of opportunity to expand upon the game and further differentiate the different ship capabilities. Ship masteries became the next big thing where people purchase ships strictly for the acquisition of that uh, piece. From me personally, I loved it. It meant that the game was continuing to grow. But for a lot of people who were free-to-play players who worked very hard to level out that T5 ship were suddenly faced with starting from scratch, which for many people frustrated them. Yeah, on on a personal level, I didn't have a problem with the T6 ships because I've, I've viewed it the same way you did. I've viewed it as the game evolving. And it also enabled them to add things that, you know, these otherwise it would have been like a version, you know, like, like we ended up getting the T5Us. So there's only so much you can add to it before you have to create a new ship. And the only way to create a new top-of-the-line ship was to make T6. The obvious problem with the T6 is that Danny just bought out the Enterprise F and it was surpassed. And it's supposed to be the Federation flagship and the ships that will come after it are actually better than it. So that created some problems. Although I still see plenty of Odysseys in game. Oh, same. And it's a fantastic ship. And to that note, T5 ships are just as good as playing with a T6 ship. You just don't have as many options, in my opinion. The recent release of the Kobayashi Maru freighter, here's a T4 ship that, quite frankly, would seem to be underpowered, but works fine in all of the content that I've played with. In fact, it's a lot more fun, just slightly more uh, difficult. Yeah, it's like the fleet ships. You don't get all the, the, the gubbins, so to speak, if you buy a fleet ship. So it's a similar scenario to that. Did anybody else play with an Obasek carrier during this time? Because I sure did. I think it was like my favorite go-to ship during this season. And that was a T5. Yeah, I, had, I got that. Because we, we got the, um, if you did, oh, God, I can't remember the mission there. When you went back down the platforms and you got the um, the enhanced ships. Fear of Influence. That's it. Yeah. That was an amazing episode. Like, amazing. I Like, I died with a lot of the scenes in that episode. Not physically, but mentally but yeah <laughs> <laughs> so honestly now how many found out about the platform jump accidentally oh on purpose for sure you had to test that yeah because you get um an accolade for it as well don't you if i recall correctly 
Yeah, I didn't know about it. I just fell off the platform. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things they introduced in that episode, uh, specifically with the the free carrier, were these attack pattern wharfs which is something I thought they would expand upon maybe as a lockbox drop or something. But that was the first and only time we've seen those kinds of custom attack patterns, which is a shame. Yeah, there was one for Wolf and one for Shram, weren't there? Yeah, if memory serves. Yeah, that was was good because, like you said, it was unique. And they could have bought that out. I mean, like, you know, we've been forward where we had other things dropping and you had the lead character in each drop. They could have done a unique attack trait for the lead character. It was certainly something I wish they had developed further. I would love to create my own attack patterns. I know that's wishful thinking, but it would be nice to have seen more after after that release. That would be pretty cool, actually, to have your own attack pattern. So it was like a, a player-based system, which you basically can kind of like name it yourself and like kind of have it appear. So they kind of have like a blank little slot where you, you press it and it's kind of like your own kind of attack pattern. That'd be cool. That'd be something they could do to expand the R&D system that they haven't touched for a while. Yeah, but it would also play into actual Star Trek episodes because, you know, you have the Picard maneuver, you have um, Janeway's attack patterns, which are unique to her in Voyager. You have Cisco giving attack patterns out during the Dominion War, which is Cisco Alpha and stuff like that. So it would be cool to be able to do that yourself. Yep, but what they wouldn't be able to do is to make it that you had a little speech bubble over your ship saying which attack pattern you're doing because you know what people would do with those. (laughs) (laughs) That would only work in PvP. The same thing, the reason why the most common feedback is like, why is there no voice work in the Foundry? Well, I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right, so next up we then, we had Season 9, which was a new accord. Uh, This advanced the timeline to 2410 and gave us Space Battle Zone, Borg Advanced Rebank, which I'm sure Aaron was absolutely over the moon about because they mess with the Borg. Revamped reputation system, species 8472 or the Undine, and traits and kits got a buff as well. So what do you think about Season 9, Tom? Oh, Season 9 is actually the uh, last season before I took the break off uh, PCs, or this one I can actually uh, I remember. Did you leave because of Season 9? <laughs> no, because uh, I was moving house and then Sold PC for other things. Oh, we went because the board keep beating you up. No, they, they, they still beat me up to this day, to be honest. I'm console at the moment. <laughs> Go on, Aaron. What about season nine? Because I know you love the Borg. Well, not just the Borg. Let's talk about the new space dock. That was the major thing with this season. They sent out the old space dock with a big boom and gave us a new one. Mm. You know, I love my explosions. <laughs> that was a really good mission. Yeah, indeed it was, and it was it was a kind of a nice send-off for the old ESD. Seeing the new ESD and the new layout was a positive change, I think, for the game. But I do believe at that time we also experienced for the first time uh, the excessive lag, the Benny Hill moments we all had on, on ESD. Yes, rubber banding became a major thing, and it's still here to this day. Although not as bad. Not as bad. I remember this year, like it was pretty bad. I'd be like all the way over at the exchange and the next minute I was back at the transporter pad. (laughs) I'm trying to think, the Borg Advance revamp, that also included the new ground maps as well and where they redid all the missions, where they'd also got the tubelets coming out from the ground, these sort of massive planet-sized tubelets. Was this the one when it dropped and um, everyone's uniforms disappeared? Was that this one? Uh, There's people walking around Earth Space Dock with no clothes on. <laughs> but this is the one where it happened and the, didn't the devs uh, beam onto the ESD as Borg and start killing everyone? 
Oh, that was what I missed. Yeah, I missed that. Yes, that's when they, they started. That is being my number one thing, and I've said it, and I keep saying it. I bring it up every couple months. Bring that randomness back. Just bring it back. But tell us a little bit in advance. So it's not like I'm working and it's like, oh, we've just randomly done this and I can't enjoy this because that sucks. Like, give us a heads up. Oh, we're going to invade Earth Space Dock. We're going to do something fun like on like a, once every couple months. And that kind of randomness will bring back the excitement to the game. I always missed every single one of those. <laughs> always. I was actually there when they invited Earth Stockers to Borg. We was actually meeting in Earth Space Dock to start a, a mission. And um, we just happened to be there. And all these Borg arrived. And we was like, hang on, what's going on? What's going on? And then they started shooting everyone. And it was, oh, it was, it was this stage. The, the chat exploded. Absolutely exploded. The chat did. Wasn't it somebody was leaving the Stowe team at that time? Was that why it was happened? Yeah, I think it was something like that. And they... they they basically found out some sort of system where they realized they could do this and they thought, let's have some fun. So if you was online, it was an epic battle on Earth Space Dot with the Borg and the Borg with the devs. So obviously the devs have got kill switches. Yeah. So it was a bit one-sided. I don't care. Bring that back. <laughs> That's what makes it fun, right? The thing is, them using their dev tools in the live game can break things. True. So they don't tend to like to do that because of what can go wrong. <laughs> so... <laughs> But it, yeah, it is a shame. It would be nice if they did add in functionality to allow them to do something like that. Even if it was just on a more of an open world area, which doesn't break much in the way of missions like, say, Riser, where it just became this open battle zone instead of a holiday vacation for a bit. <laughs> well, that was that was the idea behind Andoria. It was supposed to be an open battle zone, but it, that didn't pan out. I still don't get the point of Andoria. <laughs> <laughs> like every time we have to go to the mission to get the the particles, I'm like, I I'm sorry, but this Andoria, is, in my opinion, needs work. Yeah, and you can always guarantee the particle is always right at the end of the thing, and you just spend so much time trying to run there. And nine times out of ten, just as you get there, it moves location. <laughs> I love Andoria for that reason. It is literally a marathon run for you to get things, but it was also a place to get cheap uh, medical supplies in that deep part of the cave. Mm. So Tommy, if you left in season nine, did you even start the Undine Counter Command reputation? No, if I remember right, I got, I started some of it and then moved. We had no internet for majority of it. So uh, I do remember starting some of it off, but I've, to this day, I don't think I actually finished it. In our fleet, it was always a race to see who could complete the reputation faster. And this was before you even got the bonus for the other characters on the account, if I recall. Yeah, they weren't always account-wide. Yeah, that's back when there was only Tier 5. Because, of course, now it's Tier 6. They only added Tier 6 later on. Yeah, so after this, we had 9.5, which was basically a crafting revamp. And my Master Crafter was no longer a Master Crafter. <laughs> oh, boy. No, but having that Master Crafter gave you a nice load of goodies. It did. and But I think also the loss of the crafting adventure on Memory Alpha is kind of they took something out of the game that did have a lot of value, but with the crafting revamp allowed you to do crafting anywhere you wanted to play, which made it more accessible. Yeah, and it also made you explore more because they, they'd like, like now we've got, you've got a ship sitting in Alpha Beta sectors, which just drops crafting stuff. So, you know, you get people who are flying around the sectors looking for these ships to try just to get the crafting stuff. So it makes people explore more. Yeah, the crafting was interesting. Uh, I took part a little bit more in the crafting with the revamp. I found it a little bit easier, but 
crafting is not really my game. So it was kind of an interesting update, but it's been more like I just kind of craft the particles when the particle thing is running. Well, the crafting three piece set that you got, did it did hold its own for quite a long time. Yeah, I think I still use a lot of the visuals for the space set from crafting. Yeah, I do like the exhaust vents from it. I've got to admit, they do look cool. There's with the additional tools that have been brought into the game as well, such as changing the mods and that on weapons and things like that. It means that things that you do craft, you can then customize further later on down the line as well as upgrading to Epic. So if you like to make the game your own, crafting is still a good way to do that. Yeah, and if, if you're not bothered about playing the long game, you're quite happy to like play the long game. You can craft all your gear up without spending any money. Exactly. And it really opened a few more doors for unique items as well. It's the one area where I think they could really continue to develop the crafting system if they were to add new recipes periodically, maybe a couple with each new release. I probably funded my account just from crafting for about a two-year period where I could produce enough in a weekly basis and turn it around and sell it to buy the next ship. That's cooled off a little bit over time as people have become more uh, involved in crafting for themselves. Do people still craft today? Uh, apart from the particle thing, like, are they actually actively crafting? Yeah, some fleets have dedicated crafters. Ah. That's all they do. They just craft for the fleet. Yep, I still, I still craft on two of my twenty alls, and they're set up des designed for that. Mostly kit items in hard to find uh, weapon combinations. Interesting. If someone rolls a new two, then you can craft them gear. See, you can keep them purple as they rank up. If I personally roll a two, I'll, while he's ranking up on my main, I'll craft all the level 65 purple gear. So when he hits 65, I can just transfer it over. Oh boy, I can't wait to talk about everybody's favorite season. Delta Rising. <laughs> <laughs> so, Delta Rising, October the 14th, 2014. Level cap increase from 50 to 60. Tier 6 ships. Mark 13 to 14 gear, addition of Delta Quadrant, Captain Specialization System, Delta Alliance Reputation Faction, and the Cabale. Away you go. Now, one thing that is interesting about the Delta Rising for the Decade show is that during the last episode, one of the things you were discussing was a poll that had been given at that time about what show and area did we want Star Trek Online to concentrate on? And it was Voyager that won by a very big majority, which is what then gave us Delta Rising. Delta Rising was a huge opportunity for the company. It was a massive, by all stretch of the imagination, a massive expansion to the game itself, not in, just in terms of playable content, but as ships as well. And it was almost like it was a bridge too far. They push the limits on everything from increasing level cap to increasing the damage capabilities of the opponents you were up against. But first and foremost, the writing was spectacular, but it created a lot of frustration for many players who suddenly found themselves, I have to redo my ship again. I have to go up another level. This is not fair. And the methodology for getting there was somewhat flawed and it created even more problems for the player community as a whole. This was a time when I started blogging about the game on a, on a regular basis. What stood out for me at the end of all this was that the company actually started listening to the player's feedback on a regular basis, and changes were made to the game to make it more playable. Now, people are going to argue whether they went far enough or didn't go far enough. Putting that aside, it was, a, was my first opportunity to understand that people making the game were decent people. They loved the 
subject matter. They love the franchise. And they were as deeply involved in making this game a success as we wanted them to be as players. So at the end of the day, I think it came out as a positive. At the time, however, not so much. What do you think, Aaron? What do you remember? There's a lot that happened in season 10. There was a lot of story content. I didn't like the stories that primarily dealt with like the the tour of the Delta Quadrant ones. Those drove me up the wall. I didn't mind so much the level increase. Those things, like I think with Delta Rising, I just played purely the stories and moved on because during this time, I was heavily involved with creating my what I called my mega foundry missions, where they were like long stories with complex storylines. And that's at the time where I was more into that. So Delta Rising, all the stuff. And this is where I think me as a player... This is where I kind of divulged from where a lot of other players were going with the with the stats, with the the shipbuilding, with the DPS. I felt like this was where everybody was kind of going along that line, and I veered to the right and just focused in on heavily on Foundry and story. So I actually enjoyed the stories they had for a lot of the missions. I loved a lot of the custom maps they put out, especially with the ones where you're repelling and you're zip lining. That was amazing. The only thing I started at this point, I started noticing like a severe neglect at this time with the Foundry. I found them to be kind of ignoring us for the last couple of seasons. And it was kind of more like push and pull. And we were starting to having issues around this time. And as you mentioned earlier, Loot, like they they were heavily listening to the, the players at this time. And I will address what I just said when we get to the mid-season update. One of the surprising things in the storylines, though, was how they were tying in a lot of what had occurred previously, not only in Next Generation, but was happening in Voyager. How many of you, just a sort of quick poll amongst us, how many of you were surprised when you saw the Bluegill appearance? Oh, I was surprised. I didn't see that coming. No, that was really good. Felt made by surprise as well. So nice theft of hand there. Totally. Well, well written and came out of the blue and literally my jaw hit the table. I went, oh, yes. (laughs) We seek peaceful coexistence. (laughs) But again, this this is the beauty of Star Trek Online because they can take a story from any incarnation of Star Trek and expand on it, you know. And they, from this point onwards, they did that a lot. Even up the latest one that just dropped with, with Seven of Nine. I mean, I know I'm jumping ahead here, but you could actually go up to the bar and listen at the, into the window at the bar to Riker and Deanna talking to Zeph and Cochran. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the time where they got, a, like, the voice talents they brought in was they started to heavily focus it on that, and a lot of the missions involved a lot of voiceover work which as a player, like, it's amazing. So I really enjoyed the fact, like, this season had, like, Tim Russ, Harry Kim, Robert Picardo, 7M9, Ethan Phillips, Kim Rhodes. They had a whole bunch of voice talents this season. Yeah, and the, the faces and everything, they, they really took the time to make the, the avatars as close as possible as they could with the technology that they had. Except for 7M9. Yeah, but she got better later. She did. I will say, though, every time since when she was first introduced, all I saw was Matt Damon. And it drove me <laughs> up the wall. Because every time I saw her, I would just go, it would be instinctual. And I'd go, Matt Damon. Right? And it's just, it is. Oh. So when they finally updated her later on, I was like, okay, good. That finally stopped. Yeah, but the thing is, you shouldn't have known it wasn't Matt Damon because we never actually saved her. <laughs> True. Because that's all Hollywood does. Hollywood just spends a small fortune saving Matt Damon. (laughs) 
I think someone, this video was on the meme. Someone did it, did a wake. It was like, I think they've spent like, if you add all the films up where Matt Damon's been rescued, Hollywood spent a billion pounds saving Matt Damon. <laughs> when it came to Delta Rising, I think this was the first time they really went mental when it came to voiceovers from Star Trek stars. We had so many characters that were voiced compared to anything else in the game at that particular time. And there was so much of it added to so much of the story that it really, really made a difference, in my opinion. Exactly. And I think the most important thing is that we can mention that Mr. Harry Kim got a promotion finally during Delta Horizon. <laughs> One of them did. Yep. <laughs> <One of them. laughs> Spoiler alert. Well, even from canon, there's so many versions of Harry Kim out there. Well, the Harry Kim that finished Voyager wasn't Harry Kim that started Voyager. Exactly. At least in this universe. The funny thing was, I totally forgot about that storyline. And I've watched Voyager like five or six times in like the last years before this came out. And it wasn't until this came out that I was like, oh yeah, that did happen. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly of the from the Delta Horizon season is the mid-season update, which gave us the command specialization, bridge officer training revamp, which was nice. Suddenly you could train your officers to any degree that you're uh, looking to do. But it was also the addition of things like secondary deflectors on science ships, which was a huge step in the right direction to give science players even more space magic to have fun with. So Tom, have you played Delta Rising? I, I've played on the console about a year or so ago when I was actually starting to get back into it. And I was really shocked when you actually talk about Harry getting a promotion. I'm like, how many years did that take? Is it 30? The timeline? I think it's about 30 years, yeah. Yeah, give or take. Well, they never actually say when he got his promotion, so... Dave was saying was when he saw, like, the secondary deflectors. I thought that was a, a quite sort of handy thing because I mainly do science, so I thought that was a really nifty introduction. So what did you think of the Kabali Adventure Zone? Not played too much of it. The thing with Kabali is if you want to test your ground build, just go to Kabali because they're constantly trying to kill you. Yeah, you just don't get any rest in that adventure ground. Not like the Dyson where there's just so much space, you've got time to sort of run around. But with the Kabali one, literally, if you had to get from one place to another and you hadn't unlocked the transporter stuff, it was a pain in the ass because you just couldn't get there half the time. It used to drive me up the wall. Like when I think it first came out, and my, my ground builds were not as strong as they are now. And my ground builds still suck compared to a lot of other people. <laughs> but I used to like, I used to drive me up the wall. Like I, I couldn't even do half the missions. I'd die, 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 die. And it's just like, I want to like strangle the, the, the Vadoir. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So I used to avoid it like the plague. And I think it was just maybe two years ago, I went back and I completed the Kabali stuff. And I was like, okay, I can do it now. <laughs> but it weren't just the ground missions. The Kabali ships were a right pain to kill. Yeah, or Vardwar ships. Yeah, the Vardwar ships with all those mines. It's just like, oh! Yeah, just like any new enemy, when we encounter them for the first time, you have to develop tactics and you have to rethink how you're going to use your build to go after them. I, I, had, I struggled on the Kabali ground missions initially, but I, I run ground missions with a few regular people in, in the game, and they helped me develop and rebuild my character to make it A, more survivable, but more fun at the end of the day, knowing I can deal with this on my own as opposed to having to team up to get up further up the hill. So now you're playing it on console. How does the feel of the game differ between console and PC? Well, mainly it feels strange at first because I'm using my Xbox controller instead of keyboard and mouse so sensitivity is not as a quick reaction but they have introduced with 
of the console side, like uh, lock on assist sort of thing, like you get in other like shooter games for like ground, kind of helps with uh, like tracking onto the certain target better. And I can speak to that too, because I flip actually between PC and console only during like the events. My partner has uh, Star Trek Online and he likes just the red alert stuff. So he likes to go in and blow shit up basically. And sometimes I'll be like, oh, you should get this event ship. It's pretty good. And I'll end up playing it. And I noticed because I absolutely hate doing the winter race on the console. Because <laughs> I'm like, I could do it on PC so quick. But uh, before we move on, I thought we should talk a moment about the mid-season update to Delta Rising. One of the biggest updates, and this is to the founder community, when I was saying earlier on that they weren't list, like we we felt neglected. It was like the mid-season update happened and I felt we're here. They're going to make something. They're going to really focus in on Foundry. And they introduced the Foundry top three at, at this stage in January of 2015. And that was an amazing system because before some of my missions weren't getting played and I was only basing it off of reviews. And the minute that system was introduced, my missions were getting played more and more and more and more. So that was definitely, I think, one of the biggest improvements to the the community experience was the Foundry Top 3. And it really introduced a whole new bunch of players to there is content between content. How did you guys feel about the the Foundry Top 3? It was excellent for exposure, and uh, to be perfectly honest, it encouraged me to play more in the Foundry, which at that time we were still getting rewards that could be triggered throughout the game, if I recall. Yeah, exactly. Now, I always thought the top three was a very good thing. Um, it was just a good way to get more exposure to the Foundry, which a lot of people really didn't notice until that point. Exactly, and actually it helped me because I think I was one of the first Foundry authors to really go heads in on the Delta Quadrant. But what, and this is the one thing as a foundry, and I will say I did take advantage of, I deliberately, where major missions happen that players were definitely playing, knowing that that's going to be a top three foundry system, let me put some missions there because guaranteed I'm going to get some plays. So I moved around doors and I changed some of my stories to specifically take advantage of the foundry top three, and it worked. Yeah, I think a lot of authors started doing that as well, because wasn't it around that time that a lot of the Foundry authors actually made their own missions as well? Um, so there's actually literally a continuing storyline through multiple authors I'm trying to think what it was called. Oh, they're called like antho- anthologies. And I think that was like that, that was my biggest regret because I was so focused on finishing my story arc. That I was like, I'm going to have plenty of time to jump in on these anthologies, right? Because there were so many times I was invited, I think, to two or three of them. And I was like, listen, I don't have time right now because I'm working on my own stuff. But the minute I'm done, which I know it's coming up, I'll be happy to help out. And then as we know later on what happened. So it's like my biggest regret was not being involved in those anthologies. So before we move on to season 10, then I think we should like just do a quick chat about the Romulan mystery arc, which gave us Obersek, the man with the deepest voice in Star Trek Online. Next to you? (laughs) Next to me, yeah, next to me. (laughs) I liked what they did. Um, They trimmed some of the fat in the Romulan uh, episode list, while at the same time improving the general flow throughout. It's still one of my favorite episode lists uh, in the game, and if I were to make yet another character someday down the line, I would or do that first, which just simply stands out for me as some of the best. But adding Obasek was uh, was a great idea. Mind you, at that point, weren't they also having to, just prior to Delta Rising, they were switching to licensed um, voice actors, if, I'm, if I recall, that were members of, um, I can't remember the union. ACTRA. ACTRA, that's right. 
Yeah, they did. And we also got Impressila out of this as well as, as Obersek. But yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, Frozen and the Coliseum, when they dropped, everyone was talking about them, them two episodes. Indeed, yeah. Not always for good reasons, because, you know, in, in our fleet, the guy who follows you around after Coliseum is called Captain Creepy. <laughs> I thought that was your name, Colin. No, that's only on weekends. <laughs> it's bright in here. Yeah, which he says even when he's in a cave. <laughs> Actually, I think the line was, it's too bright, or is it, it's bright in here? It was one of the two. It's too bright, I think. Yeah, it's too bright, which he says even when you're running through the canyon in the dark. So, <laughs> But did you notice that he doesn't say it in the daylight afterwards? No, when you get to the ship. He stops saying it. I can remember the first time I played uh, Coliseum and getting lost on the desert map where I spent an hour trying to figure out where I needed to go before I realized it was pointing on the minimap. <laughs> the, the times that I don't get lost, but it's just I keep running, forgetting that I need to stop to talk to him. And then I've got to go halfway back, talk to him just so he actually follows. And it's just like, damn you. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good times, good times. The other thing in all these, as you're running across, like when you've got to gather the stuff to get through the canyon, and you're running, because he runs that close to you, depending on where you got your camera angle set, or how far in or how far out you zoomed, sometimes you accidentally clicked on him and activated his speech, and then you had to wait for him to finish talking to carry on. And, and this was the time they introduced Dust to Dust, which was part of the five-year anniversary event. Yes, yes. That mission was the one with the maze. That maze was that was fun. I enjoyed the maze. <laughs> Pretty sure I got lost in that maze. You're not the only one, Tom. I, I enjoyed the maze, but what was interesting is that your Kobali officer that you earned at the end of the maze. At one point, one of my characters had four of them, even though you were only allowed to have the one. Well, that's an interesting glitch. A lot of people actually struggle with that maze because it made some people feel sick. So we had a couple of people in our in, in our fleet who couldn't do it, so they never got that character. You know what's interesting, though? If you look online, there's like an entire map design of how to get through the maze. It was the most popular download on my blog at that time. It would be downloaded two to three hundred times a day. Uh, what did you think of the maze, Tom? Apart from I think one of my characters might still be in the maze. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. Just You give up and just left them there. No, it was a fun sort of challenge to try and get out again. They really threw everything. I mean, you had the electric floor, so you couldn't go too quick. If you went too quick, you got electrocuted. If you went too slow, you got electrocuted. And then when you got past all the arc and electricity, you had to you had to wait for it to slowly creep across the floor. And then when you got past that, you had to do... It was, there was a lot to do in that one mission. Yeah, with trying to get all my recruits done, that mission arc was on one of them so of course when you're trying to just run through all the mission quickly and of course that's one that you can't always just run through so the amount of times it's just like yeah i'll go oh, electrocuted just like then get to the next bit and then something else happens it's just like because sometimes when you play these missions so many times you're just on autopilot you don't really pay attention so it's just like i've actually got to concentrate usually i've got all sorts of things happening at the same time so i'll be playing the game i'll be monitoring social media i'll have the tv on so it's just like, okay, I actually need to pay attention now and sort of like stop everything else and just concentrate. I keep dying. <laughs> it was taking me forever. Right. Now that brings us up to season 10 and one of my personal favourites, which is 21st of April 2015, the Iconian War. I love this story. I think it was brilliantly done. We actually got to go to Iconia. We got to fight heralds. We had a whole new enemy. 
even the bit at the end of the missions where like you get the end of the mission, you zoom and then this massive structure just comes out of war and it's basically it's reminding me the first thing that popped we was doing it as three at a time in our, in our fleet and the one guy on the fleet did the bit from Jaws when he says I think we're going to need a bigger boat <laughs> <laughs> completely agree probably it's now my second favorite season and we'll get to the top one probably next uh episode but the iconian war was brilliant it actually scared me there were things like how do we defeat this many ships it's just not physically possible and it created all sorts of interesting side routes uh Aaron, talk a little bit about what happened on Ryza. Ryza. That's, uh, I have to go back and look over my notes uh, for that one. What I wanted to actually mention was that for this season, it's important to remember that this is the last season Hello Kestrel wrote from a perspective. And she was, I think, with Star Trek Online for many years before that. So she wrote a lot of the story. So Hello Kestrel, so Christine Thompson, she wrote, this was the final season she wrote anything. And I think it was such a beautifully done aspect to how she ended the season going back to the the Ryza thing i like the fact that we went back in time and to see Ryza like exactly as as we've been talked about in previous tng and ds9 episodes where they mentioned Ryza is only warm and sunny because of all their technology for their weather control systems we got to see Ryza prior to the weather control system so it was interesting to see it flooded and wet and raining what i liked about this as you said this was for christine thompson so she was there from the very beginning and when it came to the iconian war it sort of wrapped up five years worth of content and storylines and little snags that they've picked up on from so many episodes from so many series as well as so many things that's just like the amount of times as podcasters we've discussed where's this going they've done this and this character's just they've not picked it up but this for a lot of it just brought it all together and just rounded it off really nicely completely agree I was one of those people um, that were like, where are they going after this? <laughs> I was like, what's going to happen after this? Yeah, and let's also not forget, this is when we got Captain Paris and we got the, the pilot ships. Sector Space got revamped. Yep. To me, was was a good revamp because it made a lot more sense. And there was a lot of good missions that, uh, this season as well. We look at like Broken Circle, Butterfly, and obviously everyone's favorite, Midnight. You're completely right. Butterfly was one of those what if scenarios, what if time changed here, what if we did these things, and it was nice to see in the, the written detail as to the changes in the timeline had they made a different decision. It was, it was quite well done, but you're quite right. Midnight is among my favorite episodes. It tied it up in a perfectly Star Trek manner without necessarily pressing the big reset button, which for me was a, was a huge relief. They, they didn't go out the easy way, well, at the same time, they kept the Iconians in the game as an ongoing threat, potentially. Yeah, because realistically, there's no way you could defeat an enemy that's 200,000 years old than you are, because their technology was just way ahead. But yeah, I, I, I did like it. And, you know, we've, now even though we've got like the Herald Spire, which is a good mission to play, and we got, we got out of this, we got a whole new reputation system, which some of the stuff from the Iconian reputation system is absolutely brilliant when you max it out on your ship me personally i prefer the ground iconian equipment i like that little blaster that does a lot of damage that little blaster does oh and the herald staff became the ground item for the next two years as being your your first go-to item if you're going to purchase anything from the lobby store yeah i, I don't think that ferengi in the lobby store could make enough of them yeah i never actually got that one all of my alts 
have it. It is a, it's one of the first things I'll purchase outside of a tachyokinetic converter for my ship. That, that item works so well. And it works so well against so many different opponents. Yeah, I've got the two versions because there's two different versions of it. Either either one version is on a tune, or the other version is on another tune. But yeah, I'm like I'm like you, Dave. I've I've got that on most of my characters because it's such a deadly weapon, and it chains as well. That's the beauty of it. It chains. Oh yeah. So it doesn't just it doesn't just shoot one person. It shoots everyone who's in that range of that one person. Yeah, it's it, it's a nice it's a nice go-to weapon. I fully admit it. It's a uh... My pers- one of my personal favorites. And they added new ships to the Lifetime subscription at this time as well, like the Manticore and the Klingon ships, which I'm not even going to, I'm going to butcher their names, <laughs> the Romulans ones as well. But the thing I enjoyed was Iconia. Can we talk about Iconia for a second here? Like, wow. Just wow. Yeah, that was a beautiful map. I, I can't, even to this date, I think it's one of my favorite maps. Just gorgeous. And of course, you've got the two copies of it as well. On fire and not on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you think of Iconia, Tom? I've recently visited it on console, and I'm on the Xbox One X. It's currently in 4K, and it did look really nice at the time. What, before it caught fire? During. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that got me with that map is, like, I mean, I know it's it's for gameplay purposes that you have to run all the way around to get to the other platform, but at the time I was thinking, this is seriously advanced civilization who can make a portal to anywhere in the planet and they can't join their platforms up. <laughs> Very good point. Oh, I think it's environmental. It's just make it look nice. Don't want all these things there if nobody's using it. Yeah, it was just so we had to run all around the map. That's all it was. <laughs> It was just a nice new mechanic that they got to use. Yeah. No, it worked because you, it, basically, it basically made you explore the map. So it, it was a good mechanic. And to give you two and exercise. Yeah, to give my two and exercise. Yeah. Dude, we probably didn't need it at the time. <laughs> but it was just something different. And for a species that's supposed to be so old and so advanced, it was just something different that we hadn't really got in game before then. No. And, and the Arconian system is a really good system. So what we're getting on, what we'll do, folks, is we'll leave it at season 10. And in the next episode, we'll pick it up at 10.5 and then move from 10.5 through to the end which, and bring it up to date to where we are now. So where can people find you on the socials? I'll go first because I'm talking. So I might as well. I'm only on Twitter. So you can only find me on Twitter at C-O-L-M-H-0-1. I'll go next. Uh, you can find me, Admiral Aaron, on Twitter and Instagram. My handles are Stowe. Admiral Aaron, A-A-R-O-N. So on Instagram, which is my uh, gamertag for Xbox, if anyone wants to jump in on Xbox, it's Knight of the Realm. Twitter handle hasn't changed since 2009, but it's uh, TomBad2378. And I'll jump on next because I forgot to press the mute button off. You can follow me at Loot Critter on Twitter, or if you feel nostalgic, you can read my archive reviews on LootCritter.com. And you can find me online at Midnight Shadow 7. That's night spelt N-I-T-E and the number 7. Okay, just as an aside, folks, if you are new to the game and you just listen to this because you just started the game, I would heartily recommend going onto Luke Critter's website because he does give you some good tips. And uh, he's also got some YouTube videos. So thanks for listening, thanks for downloading, and until the next episode, see you soon.
Captain's log. I have informed the staff we have departed from Starbase One. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Hollow Sweet Media programs. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. True, but but how do you decide what's empty fan service and what's you know substantial fan service? What's the difference? Uh, watch Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> and you'll see some examples of empty fan service. Uh, okay, okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I get that. But you know, they can do. I've said this before, but they can do whatever they want to because it's animated. They can have any voice actor from any other Star Trek series and figure out a way to write them in. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program for. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. During the whole lockdown around the world, Enterprise is having a surge in popularity. I don't know if you've seen it. That's what I've been hearing. It's crazy, like the Facebook groups, Twitter, everyone is talking about Enterprise. And I didn't realize so many Trek fans had never even watched it. It's nuts. People call themselves lifelong Trekkies who've never watched it and are loving it now. I said to someone a week or two ago, I said, look, I'm so glad that you're finally getting around to watching it and enjoying it. But where were you guys (laughs) 15 years ago when we needed did you when the show was on the edge and then ultimately got cancelled loading hollow suite preview program for the vedic assembly a deep space nine podcast i'm not going to put it down there with my lowest of lows but my okay. most my most thing about meridian is why the hell would she be like i've known you for 13 seconds and i'm going to go into an ethereal non-corporeal form for the next 67 years it's like, why would you do this? Yeah, You're the same if... person. You're like 300 and something years old, Dax. Surely you've had a little bit more life experience than this to be running off with strangers. You're not 12. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.